Okay, the parsha is B'Shalach. You know, B'Shalach is a wonderful parsha. But there are still a few issues with uh, B'Shalach. I mean, not just B'Shalach, but a few issues with understanding the process. Rabbi Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim brought, if you look at it in a broad manner, with like an overview, so Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim was, we beat up on the Egyptians, HaKadosh Baruch who beat up on the and the Jews left the shrine. I mean, there are subtexts, of course, but that's generally speaking what happened. And suddenly in Perikyudalit, in Perikyudalit there's this odd series of psukim. Let's look at the psukim. By Daber Hashem Moshe Lemor. Daber B'nei Yisrael V'yashuvu. Right? V'yashuvu. V'yashuvu means go back. Go back means the wrong direction. You should be going forward. Forward in this case means, of course, to Har Sinai. What's V'yashuvu? And then the Pasuk says, V'yachanu lifnei piachirot, bein migdol uvein hayam, lifnei baal tzifon, nechichol, tachanu al hayam. So the Torah gives us a very precise location. And if we were so inclined, we would try to find these places and on the map and draw them. And, and they, uh, these places probably, they probably exist. But that's what the Pasuk says. So the critical word, as far as I'm concerned, is Vayashuvu. Right? That B'nai Yisrael were asked to return something that doesn't make sense in the context of the story right, the story is the story of Yitziat Mitzrayim going to Har Sinai, going to Eretz Yisrael how does Vayashuvu fit in? so Rashi says, if you look at the Rashi Vayashuvu l'achorehem l'tzad Mitzrayim that HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to B'nai Yisrael return to Mitzrayim or, go, or make it look as though you're returning to Mitzrayim this is what Rashi says. That the whole point was to confuse Paro. How so? How do we confuse Paro? By making Paro think that we are, that we are lost. That we don't know where we're going. And because Paro thinks that we don't know where we're going... So Paro will come and chase after us, and the punishment, the final punishment, will be given to Paro. Then the pasuk is uh, Rashi explains what Piha he wrote, and then Lifnei Baal Tzafon. You see Baal Tzafon. Rashi says, "Who nishar mikol This was the only god that was left in Mitzrayim. I mean, that's what the Medrash says. I don't know exactly, but the the name Baal. Baal is a general name for idolatry, right? When you see Baal, it's not so good. But, and Baal Tzafon, I don't know, whatever it is. In other words, they said that, uh, that the Jews were having trouble with their new experience standing before God. That's what, the, that's what, the Rashi, that's what Rashi says. Pasuk Gimel. Go back to the Pasuk. So the word Navoch is confused. It means confused. They are they're confused in the land. They don't know whether they're coming or they're going. They they left to go in this direction and so they turned around and came back in the other direction. <coughs> Vayomer Paro Rashi says, I'm sorry, the Pasuk says, Vayomer Paro Libnei Yisrael, Nebuchem Heim Ba'aret, Sagar Lehem Amidbar. Right? Sagar Alehem Amidbar means they don't see any way out. They don't know where to go. To go to the right, to go to the left, to go front, to go back. They don't know how, they don't know how to go. That's Sagar Alehem Amidbar. So Rashi says, says this. Vama parok she yishma shem shavim lachorehem. 
Rashi, Rashi says, Paro suddenly was energized. He looked around and he saw that the Jews are going backwards. So Rashi says, obviously, what do you mean? He didn't speak to B'nai Yisrael. B'nai Yisrael are out there someplace. They ran away. So he says, Livnei Yisrael means Al B'nai Yisrael. Al B'nai Yisrael means about. So you know that Lamed, that little Lamed? Um, it can mean all kinds of things. So Rashi's right. Uh, when the Pasuk says, Vama Paro, Livnei Yisrael, it doesn't mean he spoke to them directly. But it means he spoke about them. He spoke to his advisors about B'nai Yisrael. And then there are other psukim like that. Then he says, Nevuchim heim ba'aretz, Kluim u'meshukaim. Kluim means that they are sort of in jail. Meshukaim means they sunk into the, into the, the earth there. And he says, uh, he says, now we can get them. Now we'll get them. I mean, uh, they thought they were getting out of Mitzrayim, and they got themselves into more trouble than they could have ever imagined. So again, Rashi says, V'amar paro livnei Yisrael means, that Paro spoke about b'nei Yisrael, say to his advisors, and he said, look, they're in trouble. Let's go after them. Let's do something. Now, if you look at the left of these psukim, I have the Targum Yonatan. You know, the Targum Yonatan is the second... Aramaic Targum that's printed in the um, in the Mikraot Gedolot. I don't think it's in the Torah Chaim. Is it in the Torah It's not in the Torah Chaim. Torah Chaim is like they wanted to be different. So they set up the page differently and then they put in different things. They didn't put in what the regular Mikraot Gedolot has. I suppose there was some rationale for that. That they put in, but not because he edited it, but because they published it. So they had it. You know, it didn't cost them any money to print it. But the Targum Yonatan is printed in the standard Mikraot Gedolot, but it's not printed in the Tarat Chayim. The Targum Yonatan, here it's called, you see in the page it says Targum Yonatan, which is probably a mistake. But it's on this page because that's how it appears in the Bar Ilan. Now the Bar Ilan, even though it's a, it's a uh, it's an internet program, is not always correct. I mean, even though we think that now today that all truth comes from the internet, but sometimes it's a mistake. Yonatan ben Uziel, the Gemara says, wrote the Targum to Nevi'im and Ketuvim. It doesn't say that he wrote the Targum a Targum to the Chumash, and it's probably true that the uh, Targum to the Chumash was called Yerushalmi. It was called Yerushalmi because it's, a, it's from Eretz Yisrael. And Onkelos is more of a Bavel kind of translation. Oh, well, the reasons for this distinction are very serious for people who are studying Lashon Ivrit, but they're not too serious for anybody else. So, the, uh, uh, it was abbreviated in the early editions of the Mikraot Gedolot. This Targum was called Tof Yud. And then some Chacham came along and said, what could Tof Yud mean? So he said, it must be Targum Yonatan. And then they discovered another Targum, a shorter form of the Targum Eretz Yisrael, which is also printed in the Mikraot Gedolot. So they called one Yonatan and the other one Yerushalmi. You know, they're both Yerushalm. I mean, it's like, you know, you know, oddities come up in history all the time. So here's an oddity. But in the Targum Yonatan, which is a Targum written by somebody who knew Chazal very well, the Targum says, That's what the Targum says. Now, who are Datan Va'aviram? Datan Va'aviram are bad guys. They, they, were not in the, they were not in the Moshe Rabbeinu thought pattern. Like whatever Moshe Rabbeinu tried to teach B'nai Yisrael, that Tanva Aviran were out of it. All the way until the story of Korah. So it seems that according to the Targum Yonatan, there were Jews who did not leave Eretz Mitzrayim. I assume that that Tanva Aviran doesn't mean two people. But it means the Datan Va'aviram faction. 
so that Paro went to tell Datan Va'aviram, right? Paro Yisrael, for the ones who were left in Eretz Mitzrayim, Datan Va'aviram and the friends, the Vuchimim Ba'amidbar, Sagar Ba'amidbar, and then, well, let's go and get them. Let's go and get them. So there's a story. There's a story here about Bnei Yisrael in the Midbar. When Bnei Yisrael leave Eretz Mitzrayim and then go into the, uh, into the Midbar. This is also, and so the story is either that Paro received information about Bnei Yisrael and then decided to chase after them, or alternatively, Paro had managed to convince a certain number of the Jews to stay behind in Eretz Mitzrayim with the promise that somehow when, the, when this all ended badly for the Jews who left Mitzrayim, they would be well rewarded. I know that I'm making that up, but it seems reasonable to me that that's what might have, that that's what might have happened. So this is the story. The next pasuk. Pasuk Dalid, Vichizakti at Lev Parov, Radafach, Rebbe Kavdav, Parov, Kol Chelo, Viadum, Israel, Kiani, Hashem, Vayasukain. So there's an interjection. Akodesh Bochu interjects by saying, This is all Minhashamayim. And the whole idea is that they should run after, chase after Bene Yisrael, and, and then they will receive their final punishment. The final punishment, the Yamsufu, they will all die. This is all from Akodesh Bochu. So actually, in the Torah, you have the story told from two sides, two aspects, right? There's Paro. Like, what is Paro doing? Paro thinks he's doing a smart thing. Paro thinks that he is able to determine that B'nai Yisrael is in deep trouble, and now is the time, if he gets his army together, now is the time they'll be able to run after them and, and, and return to them the, the punishment that they gave to him. Within that story, within the Paro story, there's the question of Datan Vaviram. What they Jews who are left in the tribe who are now saying, gee, you know, we were clever not to join this madness of Yitziat Mitzrayim because here we are and Paro's going to go chase after them and he's going to beat them down and, and we're all... So this is a story. This story is in Shmot Perik Yudalit, Sukim Alephet Gimel Dalit. Okay. And then Pasukeva, you got the Melech Mitzrayim, Kibarach Ha'am, Ve'yafech Le'bei Parov, Avadav El Ha'am, Ve'yomu Ma'azot Ha'sinu, Kishilach, Shilachnu, Et Yisrael, Me'avdeinu. So that Paro suddenly realized that he's going to be the fool. That B'nai Yisrael are going to be defeated by the desert. They're going to be defeated by this reality play out there someplace. And he is going to be beaten. He's going to be vanquished by people who were vanquished by the desert. And so Paro says, Paro says, I better do something. I've got to look good. The only thing I can do is go and fight. And go and fight against B'nai Yisrael. So that's a story. That's in Perikudal. And that's how Paro decided or made the de- this, this decision to go and, uh, and uh, uh, fight against B'nai Yisrael at Yamsuf. Now the beginning of the Parsha B'Shalach the beginning, if you turn the page to, the beginning of Parsha B'Shalach says, Vahi B'Shalach Parat Ha'am, V'lo Nacham Elokim Derech Eretz Pulishtim Ki Karovu, Ki Amar Elokim Ben Yinachem Ha'am, Birotam Milchama B'Shalvo Mitzrayim. This is a kind of story here, that they didn't go the short way, they went a longer way, because HaKadosh Baruch was afraid that if they would come and they would interact with the Pulishtim, and there might be a battle, so the Jews would run away. Okay, it's not such a complimentary pasuk, but it explains why the Nei Yisrael did not go in the short way, but they went in a longer, in a, in a longer way. Pasuk Yudchet. <coughs> pasuk Yudchet. Vayaseb Elokim et ha'am derech ha'midbar yamsuf. That's what I'm interested in. The second part of the Pasuk says, Chamushim, Alubinei Yisrael, Meretz Mitzrayim, that they had, they had weapons with them. But what is Vayasev, Elokim et Ha'am, Derech HaMidbar Yamsuf? Now the word Vayasev, the word Vayasev in Hebrew, like if you were like into that, if you want to look it up in a dictionary, right? So you would find that the root Samach Bet, right? Those two letters, 
might turn into a word lisabev, to make go around in a circle. And there's another word in Hebrew, which is a different word. Hasaba. Hasaba means what we do on Pesach. Remember Pesach we lean? That's called Hasaba. Hasaba. Right, but Hasaba. That's the, so it's either Sabach Bet Bet or Hey Sabach Bet. Those are the two possibilities. What's Vayasev? We don't know. We don't know what Vayasev is. So we'll look at the, we'll look at the Medrash. The Medrash Shmot Rabbah Parasha Kaf. Mao Vayasev. There you go. So the Medrash is right on, right? They know that it's a hard word. They say, Mao Vayasev. Sheikifan HaKadosh Baruch surrounded them like the Hebrew word saviv something surrounded B'nai Yisrael like the Pasuk says in Zechariah God speaks about God as being saviv going around in a circle that's what, that's what the Pasuk of Zechariah uh, uh, proves. Uchegon ro'eh, and then the Medrash explains further. There's a shepherd. Shehayaro'et son. A shepherd who was shepherding the flocks. Vira'aze'evin ba'in. And he saw the wolves coming. Ba'in al-atzon. Vayasovevetatzon shelo yinazku. So he would gather them around somehow that they would not be damaged, right? That one, one sheep would not wander off by itself and be a willing prey for the, for the wolf, right? That's not what happened. But he, he got them all together so that the wolf would have a more difficult time. So all the wolves of the world were collected in order to do some terrible damage to B'nai Yisrael. So that's what it means. So that means that God protected B'nai Yisrael. That they were, they were an easy prey. They hadn't been in the army, they hadn't done miluim, they hadn't done, you know, they just worked to build, bringing blocks from one place to another, building buildings. So suddenly they were out in the middle of nowhere, and they were an easy prey for all of these wonderful nations, right? So God protected them. He surrounded them somehow, and they were protected from this, from this enemy. The lobe olam hazeh. Bilvad. Lo ba'olam hazeh bilvad. But forever after, that this is not just, in, in other words, in reading the Pasuk, it's not an accident of the particular moment in history that B'nai Yisrael were in danger and therefore God protected them. But it means that this is the relationship. God always protects B'nai Yisrael. Now, if you look at next to the last. Two lines to the bottom, the last word, it says Davarakher. Davarakher, a second interpretation. First interpretation was that God surrounded B'nai Yisrael and protected them. God surrounded B'nai Yisrael and protected them. The second interpretation in Medrash is Vayasev Elohim etaam. Vayasev Elohim etaam ikanam ruaboteinu afilu anisha bi Yisrael ayochala chiesev. Shekach asa lahem akorish bochu shenemar vayasev elokim. What does vayasev elokim mean? That God gave them the opportunity to eat like free people. That was the first act of freedom that happened after Yitzhak Mitzrayim called it the Medrash. They left Mitzrayim and they were free. Why were they free? Even though they couldn't fight. And even though they didn't have an army, and even though they were afraid to go the short way, or if they forgot to go the long way, but they were free. Why were they free? Vayasev. What does Vayasev mean? Ah, they like ate those, you know, pizzas and, and hamburgers, 
by the, with, with just the greatest pleasure. They leaned. They were on couches. That's what the Pesach says. And in fact, in the Gemara Pesachim, where the Gemara wants to prove that there's a mitzvah of a seba, the Gemara quotes this Pesach of Yitziat Mitzrayim. So according to the Midrash, by a seba means two things. One, that God protected B'nai Yisrael, surrounded them. And the second thing is that God gave them food to eat. Bahaseva, in a way that only the free people eat. Now this point, the second point about eating and freedom and all of that, deserves a little bit of clarification. And that, in fact, exists in the next Medrash that, uh, that we are going to, uh, that we're going to learn. There's a pasuk in Mishlei. Lechu lachamu belachmi, v'shatu beyayin masachti. Lachamu belachmi. Right? Eat bread of my bread. And drink wine that I have uh, squeezed. Amar Kodesh Boch. Amar Kodesh Boch. Mi garam lachem. Lechol min haman. V'lishtot mehabe'er. Who allowed you, B'nai Yisrael, to eat the man? And to drink the water from the well of Miriam, it's because you accepted the Torah that has chukim and mishpatim. Sham samlo chok u'mishpat. That was before Matan Torah, right? The end of the parsha of B'shalach. Havei b'shut lachmi nataltem. Knows the merit of what God gave us, the Chukim and the Mishpatim, is what produced the man. That's the Posig in Mishlei. Vilama. So here we go. The Torah says, and the, the Medrash says, that B'nai Yisrael ate a special kind of food and that was the, the, the response that they received for accepting the Torah why didn't they say Shira on the man you know that B'nai Yisrael said a special Shira on the Be'er on the water from the well Kishem Shamru ala Be'er El ala man because they didn't like the man. They said bad things about the man. God said to them, I don't expect you to complain, and I don't expect you to give praise. Therefore God did not give them permission to sing about the man. They love the water from the Be'er. Shneemar, Ali Be'er, and Nula. Davar Acher. Hinenim amtir lechem lechem in Hashemayim. There's a pasuk in Tehillim. Ta'aroch lefanai shulchan neged sorerai. We all know that pasuk. Ematay amu Yisrael devazeh. Kishayatsu mimitzrayim. So this idea that there's special food that goes along with the Yitziat Mitzrayim is also found in this Medrash. When do they say, Set the table. Neget Tzorarai. Neget Tzorarai means against my, my enemies. And all the nations said, oh, they're going to die in the desert. Is it possible that God is going to give them this feeling of freedom in the desert? The Shulchan, so that Pasuk, according to the second Medrash in Shemot Rabbah, 
means two things happened simultaneously. One was that there was Ananei Kavod. And what is Ananei Kavod? Protecting. They protected B'day Yisrael. And the other thing that happened at the same time, the other thing that happened at the same time was Haseba. They ate like three people at the same time. So that according to this Medrash, the word Vayasa, Vayasev means two things at the same time. Vayasev elokim etaam. Vahachilam man, amachilcha man bamidba. Then you skip, skip uh, two lines. Vayu umotro imet Yisrael misubim vaochlim umikal simla kodeshbochu, and they would be sitting, all the nations saw B'nai Yisrael like in this fanciest restaurant in the world. They were all lying on couches and they were eating the greatest food and they were singing the praises of right? that the enemy should see us, should see us eating. The Shanta B'Shem and Roshi, Zahaslav, this is what they were eating. They were eating the top of the line. The chelati lavo osei shalom lahem. They misubim v'ochlim began Eden. And in the future, God will prepare them. Will make them a, a, a wondrous meal in Gan Eden. V'adekol chovim roim min hagam v'nimusin shneamar inevadayu chelu v'atem avu. And people will understand, the nations of the world will understand that this is, uh, that this is something special. So, as is often the case with the Medrash, there are different stories. There's the story of Paro and the story of the nations. According to the Chumash, by a save, HaKadosh Baruch Hu protected B'nai Yisrael. But what the word also means is they turned back. They turned around. And so according to Paro, Paro saw what he wanted to see. And what did he want to see? He wanted to see that they were lost. That they were confused. That they went back. The nations... Amon, Moab, Amalek, Sichon, Og, all the nations of the world that were willing to do in B'day Yisrael, they all had a chance. They saw something else. They said, who, who takes off, who rests up when you have the enemy in back of you and you have Yamsuf in front of you? Who takes a vacation? Only those who are absolutely confident of their position. It's like the lion trainer going into the lion's den. Why right? he goes in? Because he, I guess, is pretty confident that nothing is going to happen. Even though the lions are all there, and at least in theory, would be happy to eat him up. For some reason, the balance of power between the lion trainer and the lions is such that the lion trainer is not afraid of the lion. So here's the word Vayasev. And Vayasev is, is a word that says different things were happening at the same time. On the one hand, they turned back. And we know what Paro thought about turning back because we read those Psukim. On the second hand, on the second hand, the, the Medrash says Vayasev means that God protected them. God took care of them. He covered them up with the Anani HaKavod. On the third hand, the word Haseba, they ate this wondrous meal. This glory that they were so fearless, so certain of themselves, so confident that what had happened, that they were willing to relax. They have the man, have the bear, the water from the bear, eat the slav. They were in the Restaurant of Akrishboh, which would become the restaurant in Ganeda. So you see that Chazala is showing us. So that the same set of events 
And we all know that. We all that. We we live with that all the time. If you read, you know, just want to know what happened yesterday. You know what happened yesterday. So if you read this newspaper, one thing happened. Read the second newspaper, something different entirely happened. And the third that newspaper, the fourth newspaper. Nobody reports the news. They only report what they saw. And you understand that people see what they want to see and what they're capable of seeing. And, and they mix in what they see with what they dream they would like to see. So here's Vayasek, a word. Now if you look at the Balaturim, which is printed on this page, the Balaturim, you remember, is Rabbi Yaakov Balaturim. Right, Rabbi Yaakov was the son of the Rosh. The son of the Rosh who wrote this wondrous pre-Shulchan Aruch called the Tur. The Tur was the one who invented the four uh, uh, parts, Shulchan Aruch, right? Orchai, Miyoridea, Ebenezer, Choshim, Mishpat, the Tur. So he wrote a parish on the Chumash, which is basically, as I told you, I think a parish on the Mesorah. Right, the Mesorah. The Mesorah, you know, they counted the words, how many times this form appears, that form, so he says this. God set out the tables and he and he gave them uh, the opportunity to lean when they eat. That only means that's what it means. So for the the Balaturim the primary meaning is that when you read the Medrash, you could argue that it's a secondary meaning. But for the Balaturim, it's already become a primary meaning. The primary meaning was that Yitziat Mitzrayim had already taken place. Even though there's more to Yitziat Mitzrayim, they have to get to Har Sinai, but it's already taken place. Because not only is there a change in the location of B'nai Yisrael, but there's a change in the whole way of life of B'nai Yisrael. They are fearless, and they are eating. And they are leading. And they sort of like they take the place of the Egyptians. The Egyptians don't know. And they go to report to Datan Vavirab and all the Jews who are left in Eretz Mitzrayim. And they say, oh, look at this. They've turned around. They're confused. But, but we know that Vayasev means that HaKadosh Baruch Hu protected them. That's the Ananeya Kavod. And within the Ananeya Kavod, they acted not like the frightened sheep that are huddled in a corner so that the Za'ev won't get them. But they acted like true free men. Right? Not a care in the world. Eating and drinking and, 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 and having, God's, having God's food. So you have, I mean, two understandings of what happened at Yitzhak Mitzrayim. And since they're both in the Torah, it's hard to say that these two understandings, that one of them is wrong, and the other one is right. Because if the Egyptian understanding was entirely wrong, their understanding was that since B'nai Israel turned around and started coming back, that they weren't free yet. And if that understanding was entirely wrong, I mean, we can say that why would the Torah report it to us? Obviously, there must be something true that the Mitzrim, they didn't understand what was happening. But when I read the Pasuk, it should give me some sort of understanding about something. So, so you have two understandings. B'nai Yisrael at once were protected, enveloped, eating the food of freedom. On the other hand, according to Paro, they were scared. They were turning around. They didn't know where to go. They were in the following Baal These two ideas... These two ideas are reflected in the ongoing parashanut of this parasha. And I want to quote two sources. Right? The first is the Ramban in his introduction on the Torah. And the second is Rav Nossin in a piece that connects to our Pesach. So let's look first at the Ramban. You see at the bottom of the page there's the Ramban. If you look at the Ramban, a, a four lines from the bottom. I know this, is the, this text is the entire introduction of the Ramban to the book of Shemot. And four lines from the bottom, the Ramban says this. When B'nai Yisrael left Mitzrayim, 
even though they left the house of slavery, Adayin Yechashvu Golim. Even though they're out of Mitzrayim and they're in the desert, Adayin Yechashvu Golim. They are still considered to be in exile. Ki Hayu Be'eretz Lo Lahem. They were in a land that was not theirs. And so according to the Ramban, if I may just add on a little bit, when did the Galut come to an end, according to this sentence? When they grabbed onto Eretz Yisrael. When they had a place. Because slavery in Mitzrayim meant that that was not their place. They weren't free. They couldn't develop. They couldn't act. It wasn't their place. So Geulah, redemption means you need a place. You need a place where you could build, where you could develop, where you could, you could grow. That's, that's Eretz Yisrael. He says, so the Rabban said, Ki And Nevochim Bamidbar. And even though these words, Nevochim Bamidbar, are the words that are told to Paro about B'nai Yisrael, where the Rabban says that he's not talking about Paro. And he's not talking about Aaron, he's talking about something general. He's talking about the 40 years in the desert, they were in the Volchim Bamidah. What was the punishment of B'nai Yisrael? What was the punishment of B'nai Yisrael 38 years in the desert? They went around. They didn't get any place. That's called Navoch. That's called Navoch Bamidbar. Navoch Bamidbar means that you're aimless. That you have no purpose. That you're passing the time. And then you're not free. During that time you're not free. And then the Ramban says, And then the, the Ramban goes on and he says that Gula has two aspects. There's the aspect of Eretz Yisrael, that's what he said first, and then there's also the aspect of Matan Torah. But again, what does the Ramban say? Rabban said that the report to Paro was right. The report to Paro was right. The Vuchim Heim Bamidbar. The Vuchim Heim Bamidbar means they're not there yet. They're aimless. They're wandering. And in such a case, they're not redeemed. Redemption only comes with a place, with a purpose, with something to establish, a way of establishing a change in the world. That's what the Rabban says. Now let's look at Rav Nossin. We have time. We'll make it. Rav Nossin. Right? That you know Rav Nossin is Rav Nachman of Braslav's, you know, finest album. He wrote this very big book called Likutei Halachot, in which he tries to integrate the ideas of Rav Nachman with the Shulchan Aruch, interestingly enough. It's a very, uh, very big and interesting book. The Bratzlavas, you know, they they have this thing in Bratzlav that every Bratzlava book comes out in a pocket-sized edition, in a learning-sized edition, and a coffee table edition, right? So you could also buy this book, which was published in, I think, nine volumes, which is a lot of volumes. No pictures. Nine volumes. And... Uh, and he goes through the whole Shulchan Aruch, and he explains it according to Rav Nachman of Bratz. Very interesting. So here, here is the Likuti Halachot, Orachayim Bekat Hareach Bekat Section Dalit, Subsection MA45. So you can see there's, uh, there's probably a lot to learn. We only have a little piece here. Nine volumes. It's impressive. And he says he describes a reality. And the reality is that we're after all, as Rav Nachman the Bratzel says, Kol makom olech, olech That's what Rav Nachman said. That's, that's Galut. Galut is potential. Living in Eretz Yisrael is actualizing that potential. So that in Chutzlaretz, that's what you say. You say, I know that I'm, I don't have a place. It's not permanent. Sometimes we fool ourselves and think it's permanent, but you have to only learn a little bit of history 
to know that for the last uh, any number of years, pick a number, the Jews had to move from one place to another, to a third, and that, they didn't always have a bad life. It wasn't bad. It's just that it wasn't permanent. It wasn't permanent. So that Galut, diaspora living, is noted by this, Godel Hatil to live Til to live means wanderings. I'm forced to wander from place to place. Yisurim means uh, the, the, the suffering that I have. Shetzuchim is bo kodem shebaim la'eretz Yisrael. Utzuchim l'sabev. See that word l'sabev? You have to go around. The kama drachim kodem shebaim la'eretz Yisrael. Ukumoshi katuv. Vayaseim elokim. How apostle? How apostle? So here's Rav, Na, Rav Nachman, Rav Nosson. Rav Nosson takes our pasuk and he makes it into a cosmic force. And so when HaKadosh Baruch Hu took B'nai Yisrael out of Mitzrayim into the galut of the Midbar, of the desert, as the Ramban says, he was showing them something about the future of Jewish history. That in Jewish history, by that was that was the purpose of diaspora. And he says all of this draying around and suffering that we do in the Galut is Bishvil Kibutz Hanidachim. In order to bring together all those who are dispersed far and, and wide. And one of the things that the Braslavers always thought about was, if the Jews had to go into exile, okay, so they leave Eretz Yisrael, they go into exile. Let's say they would all go to Afghanistan. Afghanistan, that's an exile. And why would anybody want to live in Afghanistan? But why couldn't they all live there? Why do they have this every situation where the exile also means dispersion. Why, why do we have to be dispersed in every single place in the world? Wherever you go, you'll find Jews. I mean, even before Chabad. Everywhere you go, you find either Jews or remnants of Jews or a shul. Oh, there was a shul here, and there were Jews here, etc. Wherever you go. Why did that have to be the case? Ki'ita bekitve ha'arizal bekavanot. The Arizal already wrote that's our tefillah. If we so I guess that means that we have to be in our We can't just be in exile in Afghanistan. We have to be in exile every place in the world. Every place. Because wherever there is a Jew in the world, that's called exile. Wherever he is. And he says, And you have to understand that every Jew, and this the Rabbi Nossam says in several places, even Jews who are not religious, who don't keep the mitzvot, but they have an influence. Everybody knows he's a Jew. Everybody knows that he, he doesn't act in the same way as everybody else. Everybody knows the standards that are special. Even Jews are not, who are not religious. He says, and that's why the diaspora is not a single place, but the diaspora is every place. That's what the Arizal said, that's what Rav Nosson said, that's what we say when we daven. That's what we say when we daven. It's difficult to understand. Where you go very far away from where the Jews are. Like if you go to Moscow, you know Moscow, 
the Jews were not allowed to live in Moscow. Which doesn't mean that no Jews lived there. But Jews were not allowed to live there. There was this idea that in, with the Russians, they had internal passports. And the internal passports also told where you live. And if they caught you in a place other than the place that you lived, you had to explain what you were doing there. It wasn't like you could just, uh, you could just travel for no reason at all. So he says, that's Moscow. Even there, there are a few Jews. They're like few Jews living there with all these idolaters. They're even more far-flung places than Moscow. Places where you can't even imagine that there would be a Jewish person. But there are. Here's a Jew, there's a Jew. And he says, if you go to those towns and you meet those Jews, well, they're not righteous. They're not eating glad kosher meat. They're not uh, buying the most expensive esrog in, in, in town. They're not those kind of Jews. They're the other kind of Jews. They eat whatever they eat. And they don't need an esrog, and they don't go to shul. I said, they're Jews like that. He says, They're not even regular, simple. They're not even simple Jews. They're just barely simple Jews. He says, even the worst of the Jews, even the Jews who do transgressions, they're full of mitzvot like a pomegranate. I mean, because when a Jew, when a Jew uh, uh, looks up to heaven and he thanks God, I mean, he may not feel the Jewishness, but he's doing a Jewish act. He says, Vim Cain, Echav Shal Avin Zot Shal Yideh Anashim Ka'elit Baruani Tzotzot Mokei HaKlipod Ka'elu he says, Vayaseb. HaKadosh Baruch Hu made them go here and there into all the places. And that was a forerunner of the Galut. And Galut means that you have an, an obligation. That's what Galut is. And what is the obligation of Galut? To bring everything back, wherever it may be. And so he says, Avul Be'emet. He says, V'imkein Echav Shah, line 13, the end of the line. How can we imagine that these people who don't keep the Torah and the mitzvahs and don't learn Torah, that they're the ones who are going to fix the world? But this is the way it is. Even though we don't understand it, we have to agree that that's how it is. Sheikar ha-galut galut he says, that's what Galut means. It means you're disconnected from Eretz Yisrael. That the only reason the Jews went out into Galut, the Gemara says, is that the Goyim should decide to become Jews, to go through a conversion process. That's what we mean when we say that it has an effect. Otherwise, how can we understand how can we understand? Here's a good point. Okay? A good point is coming up. A good point is coming up. The good point is this. If B'nai Yisrael sinned in Eretz Yisrael, why did HaKadosh Baruch Hu punish them by sending them into exile? Line 19. Shemachamat shechatu Yisrael b'Eretz Yisrael gala otam mishav l'Eretz Ha'amim ad sheyitaknu v'yashuv elav yivilu goyam sedkenu v'adavak Hashem ha'od they said I can't understand it echi yet tikva how could we possibly imagine or hope 
that the Chutzlar, that Yeshua Yisrael, that B'nai Yisrael and Chutzlar are going to do Tshuva. Uma'am b'makol chiyotenu kedushen shu Eretz Yisrael, Eretz HaKedushah, Shosham Ikah Kedushah Yisrael v'chulay. They didn't do Tshuva. So how could it be that the same people who did not do tshuva in Eretz Yisrael and therefore got kicked out of Eretz Yisrael are going to do tshuva in some forsaken place like Moscow? I mean, who would ever imagine such a thing? I mean, it's crazy. It's a crazy idea. That's what Rav Nelson says. You know, Rav Nelson lived in the Ukraine, right? Ukraine is not Moscow. But it's not so far. It's a lot closer than we are, he says. If in Eretz Yisrael they could not fight the Yitzhara until they, they fell into this kind of the sinful way How can that be? That in Eretz and in Chutzlaret they will fix things. Everything will be okay. And then this, everything is hopeless. Galut is hopelessness. But we can't say that. Because Hashem obviously wants us to fix things. And wants us to fix ourselves. They don't have fates in Tombano. They can't say that God wants to uh, uh, do Nikama against us. What's Nekama? What? Revenge. That God doesn't want revenge, revenge against us. How is it possible, Rav Nosson says, that in Eretz Yisrael, we couldn't do it. And our Chutzlar, are we going to do it? How could that be? I will be mad. So the Rav Nozan says this. When B'nai Yisrael, when B'nai Yisrael left Mitzrayim, they learned what Galut was. They went from Avdut to Galut. Avdut is when there is a physical oppression. But Galut is when you're not in Eretz Yisrael. Even if there is no physical oppression. Even if you're able to kind of live a so-called good life. That's Galut. That's Galut. So that HaKadosh Baruch Hu emphasized this point, according to Rav Nosson. Yes, you're leaving Mitzrayim, but you're not going into a state of Geulah. You're going from Avdut to Galut. And what does Galut mean? Galut means that you don't have a place. That you can't stick together. That you can't find a unified, simple purpose. That's only true in Eretz Yisrael, according to Rav Nosan of Nemirov. That's only true in Eretz Yisrael. So that Galut means that you're not yet in Eretz Yisrael. And why did HaKadosh Baruch Hu say to B'nai Yisrael when they left Eretz Yisrael, why did, Eretz Mitzrayim, why did HaKadosh Baruch Hu say to them, Why did He show them dispersion? Why did He show them Draying around at that time. Why did he teach them that lesson? Because he wanted them to understand, according to Rav Nosson, that the obligation of Am Yisrael is not just to save itself, but their obligation, the obligation they accept at the time of Yitziat Mitzrayim, is to save the world somehow. And that even though Galut is a punishment, it's a punishment that contains an opportunity. And even though Galut is a punishment that we're not together and we don't have a unified leadership and we don't have simple direction that we're going in, nevertheless, the fact that Am Yisrael is dispersed in the entire world, according to Rav Nosson, that's a real opportunity. 
So if we go back again, Ramban is the one who introduced us to this idea that Galut means, does not mean that you don't have a credit card. Galut means that you don't have a place. And so B'nai Yisrael, when they left Mitzrayim, by Yaseib, they weren't where they were supposed to be. They started turning around. That's what the Ramban said. And the punishment of B'nai Yisrael in, in the Midbar, the punishment after the Chet Ego, was 38 years of aimless wandering. It wasn't 38 years of not having good food or not having good drinks. It wasn't 38 years of having torn and dirty clothes. It wasn't any of that. It was just not being where they belonged. And the Ramban said that when you're not in the place that you belong, when you're in, you're not in Eretz Yisrael doing what you're supposed to do, then that's called Galut. That's called Galut. And that is the vision that Paro had of B'nai Yisrael, because that was the lesson that they learned. On the other hand, we know that B'nai Yisrael achieved freedom when they left Eretz Mitzrayim. And the sign of freedom that they achieved was the meal that was set out for them. That's called freedom. But that's not called Geulah. That's not redemption. So there was slavery, there was freedom, and there was redemption. And freedom looks different to different people. Like you say, oh, you know, everything looks, he looks like he's well, well off. Well, he's not so well off. He lost a lot of money in the stock market. Freedom is not something that's easily accessible. But the freedom that B'nai Yisrael had was to eat this meal that they were able to eat at, uh, in the Anani HaKavod, HaKadosh Baruch Hu protecting them. They ate the food and they, they were free. Along comes Rav Nosson of Nemerov. And Rav Nosson of Nemerov said, said, you know, Gu'ulah is not, may not be a notion that has permanence to it until ultimate Gu'ulah is achieved. And what is ultimate Gu'ula? Well, that's about all the nations of the world and all the places in the world and all the peoples of the world recognizing something, that there's something important or impressive about the relationship between HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Olam Hazeh, between HaKadosh Baruch Hu and our world. And so Rav Nossin said, it's true that B'nai Yisrael was punished by Galut. They were sent into exile. But it's not so clear that the exile of B'nai Yisrael had to be an exile into all the corners of the world. And so Rav Nassim says that the exile of B'nai Yisrael to all the corners of the world, which we daven about, and we say, bring us back from all of those corners of the world is about changing the world. I mean, it's true, it's a punishment. But not the fact that we go every place. That's part of the tafkid. That's part of what we are set about to do. So you see that people see in the world, or in the events in the world, they see what they have the capacity to see. So Paro and maybe Datan Aviran, they saw the wandering in, a, in the desert as being a lack of success. Chazal said that the other nations of the world realized that Bnei Yisrael were acting as though they had finished the job, so to speak, and were not afraid of anybody. And then the nations of the world knew that they could not attack and, and win against B'nai Yisrael. The Ramban tells us that there's an overriding notion here, that Galut and Gula are not mutually exclusive notions, that you're either in Galut, and if you're not in Galut, you're in Gula. But the Ramban says, no, there's something in between. There are the Jews in the desert, which we might call freedom. 
right? The slavery in Egypt was exchanged for freedom. But Geulah, redemption, is about a certain status, a certain standing, things you think about, things you do. That's all got to do with Geulah. Rav Nosson takes it from the other side. And he said that even though HaKadosh Baruch Hu promised us that there would be Galut, that Galut would be the ultimate punishment, we have to understand that that punishment enables us to prepare the world for Geulah. And even Jews who seem to be, you know, this is always a problem, even Jews who seem to be you know, not so uh, devoted to the tradition play a very significant role. As Rav Nossin says, if you go to Moscow, or you go to little cities out in Siberia, you'll find a lot of Goyim, but you'll find a couple of Jews. And if you look carefully, you'll see that those Jews who are not keeping the Torah, not keeping the mitzvahs, that they make a real, a real difference. And we see it in the world sometimes. We see it in the world that, that Jewish history takes a good turn. And we all benefit from that good turn. I would put the state of Israel into that category. Yet, I would not say that the state of Israel is the result of a Torah enterprise. It's not true that the people who learned Torah and the people who were from, so to speak, were the ones who had the dominant influence in creating the state of Israel. But that's what Rav Nossam says. That's what Rav Nossam says on some level, on some very cosmic level, or some very significant level, we're all in this together. I mean, it may not look like we're in this together, and we may not talk to each other like we're in this together, but if you stand back and you look at it, we're all in this together. Me, Rav Nossan, in, uh, in Oman, and that Jew who's someplace in Moscow, walking in the streets and doesn't even know that he represents the history of, of the Jewish people. We're in this somehow together. We're doing God's work, and the accomplishment will be the accomplishment of the effort of Rav Nosson of Nemirov, who knew Kola Tarakula, and that Jew in Moscow, who really didn't know anything about the Torah, but maintained his identity in some manner or the other. Have a good Shabbos.